So Rose and Diego have been engaged now for about one month. And in seven months, January 21st, 2019, the clock will strike midnight. There's going to be a transfer that will take place there. You see, at, at age 16, I took Rose out to dinner. And we had a great time and asked her questions and just drew her heart out. And at the end, I think it was during the, the dessert, I gave her a ring, and I said, sweetheart, I want us today to make a covenant, and that if you promise to give me your heart, I will guard it, and I will protect it. And so for the last several years, that's been my ambition for her to guard and protect her heart. There came a time in which a young man came along and he was not the one and I knew that. And she asked me and I said, sweetie, no. I'm here to guard and protect your heart and I've got to tell you my answer is no. God did some wonderful healing and moving along and a young man did come along. And this one, I said, yeah, yeah, this is the right one. And on January 21st, 2019, she is going to take off her promise ring. And then I'm going to take her hand, and I'm going to give that hand to a young man and he's going to put a different ring on. There's going to be a transfer that's going to take place. But I have only till midnight. My life as a dad is invested in my Cinderella's. And I've got a Prince Charming too, by the way. So if you're interested, come see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Dads, that day is coming for all of us. It's coming for your Cinderella or your Prince Charming. And the question is, will we be ready? Will we have invested in them? Dads, that, that's a hard question. Throughout the, my, the period of my kids growing up, I regularly ask my question, that question to me, are they ready or in, the, in this process of being ready? I want them to be ready. Diego, I want to tell you, you are the young man that we've been looking for. And may I also say that my daughter's been looking for. But my time is short and she'll be gone and her room will be empty. Okay, for at least a day before her sister moves in. But I believe that Peter, in a roundabout way, is saying, dads, the time is short. Except he doesn't say dads. He uses the term elders. So I passed a sheet of paper out to you. I'm going to read what Peter re re writes to us, 
And then that she- I'm going to read that sheet in your hand because it reads a little differently. I'm calling it a retranslation. And I think the Lord is okay with this. I was supposed to preach on the end of chapter 4, and God laid on my heart, I'm supposed to preach this. So I'm switching this around. But dads, I want us to come to this realization. Our time is short. You know something the prince never knew. You may not know the exact hour, but the truth is one day she will be gone, and we will be left with that question Have I invested wisely? Is she ready? Am I ready? And so as we go through this, that's really going to be my goal. Man, the time is so short. The clock's going to strike midnight, and she'll be gone. So I'm going to read what Peter says, and then I'm going to read my translation to you for dads. Elders, you are, they are the leaders of God's family, Dads, you are the leaders of the family God has given to you. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. To the fathers among you, I appeal as a fellow father a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Shepherd your family. Dads, shepherd your family that God has given you, serving them as one who will give an account for overseeing their care. Not just because it's your duty, but because you love doing it as God deeply desires you to do. Not because it will benefit you in some way, but because your heart to serve them and lay down your life for them will benefit them. Not as a dictator who has to have his way all the time, but as one who leads by example for them. And when Jesus, who is the perfect daddy, comes back, the clock strikes midnight, you will receive a rich, glorious reward that will last forever and ever. There's that one section right there where Peter says, not for money, not greedy for money. And I've translated that to simply mean not to benefit you. Because that's what Peter's really getting at here. Being a leader is not to benefit you. Being a dad is not to benefit you. There are perks in that. Today is Father's Day. I'm going to be getting a bunch of perks. And I look forward to it. Father's Day, honestly, is one of my favorite days. Aside from Christmas, it's a little different than like my birthday. I get gifts on birthday, my birthday. But you see, on Father's Day, it's different because on Father's Day, I see it as this is me and my family. We're celebrating me and my family. 
and that bond that's there, that relationship, those relationships that are there. <clears throat> now, as we look at this passage, we're going to see three charges flowing from this general command, and I'm going to say it this way, to you dads, to us dads, it is the charge, shepherd your family. And the three commands are love being a dad. Number two, do it to benefit your children, not yourself. And number three, lead by example. But I want us to notice something here. These commands are not to do something, but they are to be someone. They are principles. Now, Peter could have, and he actually does this earlier in his letter, but he could have said, you know, I want you to do this and this and this and this, and here's some really good ideas, do this, this, and this. And he doesn't do that here. He, lay, he, he does not call you to do, he calls us to be. And, and so I want us to step back a bit, and I want us to ask this question, what or who does he want us to be? There is an identity crisis for dads in America today, and the truth is they were not led by example, many of them, and so they don't have this picture of a dad. But we do, in the scriptures here, have a picture of a perfect dad. Did you realize that in Isaiah 9-6, it says that he calls Jesus Everlasting Father. Interesting. He's the Son of God. This is true. He is the Prince of Peace. Not the doesn't say King, but it calls him Prince. He is uh, he he is the the Son. He is our elder brother. But in that passage, he says, you know what? Of all of these amazing metaphors, he is also Everlasting Father. And so he is going to be our example this morning, and. He is our example of being. Now notice, before we get into these three charges, he starts off in a very peculiar way. He says, as a witness of Christ's sufferings and the glory that will be revealed. I mean, why does he do that? Why does he talk about Jesus' sufferings and then slip into a charge to the elders? Now, First thing, let's note, is because the example that Jesus gives us is one of sacrifice. And I'm going to just tell you right now, men, being a dad is a complete sacrifice. You've heard my story, in which all three of my daughters, long hair and all, as they wake up, vomiting gets in their hair at night, and my wife, we're tag-teaming it, and we are exhausted, and wow. But I want us to see something else here. I want us to go just a little bit deeper. Christ's sufferings. Yes, it's a demonstration of his love for the world or, or for his church. And we're called to be able to emulate that love. Who for the joy set before him, and that was you and I, he endured the cross. But you know, he... He took the lashings, he took the beatings, he took the nails because he had just been to Gethsemane. You see, Gethsemane preceded Golgotha. Golgotha, place of the skull, that's where Christ died. But Jesus needed his 
Gethsemane as we need our Gethsemane. You know, we're called to demonstrate the sacrificial life as Jesus laid his life down on the cross. But again, before Golgotha came Gethsemane, and it was in Gethsemane that Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Because here's the truth. Church, do you want to be, dads, do you want to be the best dad? Do you want to be? It's not about doing it. Do you, you want to be the best dad? Then I'm going to tell you this. You need a Gethsemane in your life. Christ suffered in Gethsemane, and he suffered on the cross. So when he's talking about Christ's sufferings, he's not just talking about Golgotha, the cross. He is also talking about what happened in the garden where Jesus was in such despair. And and church, I don't get this. I can't wrap my mind around it. It is beyond my understanding. But I do know this, that the very God of heaven stepped down into my existence and he, he took on human frailty beyond my understanding, laid aside those privileges of glory that he had, and he stepped into this frailness, and he experienced pain for the very first time. He experienced what it would be like to be human and experience emotion, even to the point of despair. And in the garden. Well, he was pressed in about this very fact that as God, he would become sin for me. I, I, I can't understand that. I don't know what it's like to be God, stripped of my glories, and experience the worst punishment imaginable, which is hell. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. But it was in that garden where he sweated great drops of blood. And it's not like it was drops large like blood, but they looked like blood because there was blood in it. And this is a very serious condition when someone is under so much stress that blood begins to come from their pores. Jesus was close to death in Gethsemane. I'm going to suggest to you and I that that's where we need to die. Men, that's where we need to die. That's where we need to say, not my will, but yours be done. That's where we need to crucify me, Mike Curtis, so that I will be able to lay down my life as Christ laid his life down on the cross. I lay my life down for my family. That is where Peter starts. Peter starts assuming they get this, the yielded life. They get, they understand what it is to live this poured out life like a drink offering, as Paul says. But he gives us these three charges of being. And the first one here is that he love, he challenges them to love being a dad. Love being a dad. I'll be honest with you, I love being a dad. Now, I love being a husband too, but there's no such thing as Husband's Day, is there? So there is a Father's Day, so I I preach a sermon on on being fathers, and 
Mike, by the way, did a super job a couple of weeks ago preaching on being a husband. It's great, excellent. Here, being a dad. I love being a dad. You know, here's the truth. When kids feel loved, they give grace to our mistakes. And can I just ask, don't we need more grace? Men, don't we need more grace? But And our kids, can do, there is this resiliency there when they feel loved. When they feel loved. And I, I can remember just in, in growing, my kids growing up, when I would take them to the bathroom, that's all they needed to know. I'm sorry, but is it time for the bathroom? They knew it was not for them to sit on the toilet and, and do their business, but it meant dad and I are going to have a little discussion in the bathroom. <clears throat> and he's going to bring out the attitude adjuster. And, but when I was all done and we walked it through them, and I would always ask them, now how much does daddy love you? And they would always do this, this much. And I would say, around the world a million times. And it was just a thing that we had. And I always just, I just wanted to remind them, you know, we just went through something that if you don't understand you might think dad's against you. And I need you to realize that I am not. And I love you this much around the world a million times. You know, I, I love it. Um, I don't have a lot of dads and little ones in my house. Uh, but I do have my son-in-law. And I love it when he's there. And just the other day, how cute it was. Let me just say that before I say that. But whenever, like on Wednesdays, Kate will come over and, and uh, we'll, we'll watch and she and Meredith will have some time together. And, and when, when Zach comes in, the kids run to him. Ah, and they hug him and, and he throws Cooper up in the air. Rusty's a little bit harder now, a little bit more of a workout. But, you know, and he loves on his kids. Just the other day, though, it... it we were having a, yesterday we were having a meeting and, and his kids, Kate brought the kids in and they immediately ran for him like, Dad! And they're hugging on him and trying to knock him over and all this. And, and, and you see, that's a wonderful example of, you know, dads, when we love our kids, how much they love as a result. I think one of the most difficult, the greatest difficulties we have is when, when we don't get that from our dad, we feel somewhat aimless in learning love. And, and, and dads, I just want you to know that, that if we don't get this, our wives are going to have to do it. I don't want that. I will have to say that my kids are as compassionate as they are because they had such a wonderful mom. I'd like to think I had something to do with that, but the truth is probably not nearly as much as my wife. And, and, and I understand that, but dads... Do they know that you love them around the world a million times? Is that one of your favorite jobs in the world? You know what? It's even weird to call it a job, but it is. There's, a, there's some duty to it. And, and, and Peter challenges you, but we don't do it because you got to do it because it's duty, but because you love doing it. Have you, have you ever had a job that you woke up in the morning and you said, woohoo, I get to go to work. Or Monday mornings, you wake up and think, oh my goodness, and you hit the reset 10 times and the, the, on the alarm. What a difference in life 
when we love, love being a dad. And I tell you what, your kids are going to see that. They're going to feel that. And I, I want to tell you that I, I think we have some really awesome dads in this church. I believe that. And you love being a dad. You love your kids around the world a million times. You, you love them. I had a dad. He's now with the Lord. And he made some mistakes. And all of us kids have had to deal with that. When I, I realized his mentality, though, going into being a dad, he never wanted very many children, if any. But for some reason, his wife just kept getting pregnant. Actually, six, well, seven times, but one miscarriage. Six children. Yeah, I've got a, apparently a brother up there I'll get to meet one day but that I haven't met yet. Six kids. My dad didn't know what to do with six kids. And each of my brothers had to come to a point where because he would run roughshod over us at times, we had to forgive him. My dad, in order for that change to happen, though, my dad had to be broken. I remember a time in which I was little. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but it was absolutely stupid, wrong. Any other adjective you want to throw in there? And I led my brother, my younger brother astray in this. And my dad pulled aside in the tent, and he was so embarrassed because we were camping out in the backyard of one of his friends who lives here in Florida, actually Orlando. And my dad lost it. And he hauled off, and he punched me in the gut, threw me against the tent. My sister, many, many years later, said, oh, I just wanted to jump on his back. But the truth is, my dad didn't have a good example. My dad failed in many ways, and God had to break him. Because God said, you know what, Dave? You're going to change. You're going to change, and I'm going to make sure of that. You're either going to do it the easy way or the hard way, and my dad chose the hard way. My dad had to go through some really rough experiences. But it was because he didn't have someone showing him. And I'm not sure he really loved being a dad. You see, that's how big of a difference there is when you really love being a dad. When you wake up in the morning and, yeah, you know what? The kids can scream and they can wake you up on Father's Day when you want to sleep in or other days like your birthday when you get the day off and finally, I'm going to sleep till 10. Wait a second. You really think so? Because your kids wake up by 7 o'clock in the morning at the latest and you love your kids. Dads, here, thank you for being such a good example in this and loving your kids. It also says that we are not to do this. We're not to be dads to benefit ourselves in some way, but to benefit them. Now, I realized that many years ago, there, there was a common phrase, children were to be seen but not heard. In other words, I don't want you joining in my life 
entering into my discussions because this is my adult time. I need you to be, and many times working out in the field doing whatever, and having many children was a financial benefit. Now, I get that. But the truth is, I have to wonder sometimes, how did those kids grow up? It can actually impact an entire culture. Now, you may know some cultures, I'm not going to name them, <laughs> but you may know some cultures in which the people there are their, their personalities are hardened. And I can't help but wonder who did that in their culture because they were not born that way. It's not in their DNA. But that culture had been robbed of this authentic love of not only dads enjoying it, but realizing being a dad is not a duty being a dad is a privilege for me to lay my life down with a heart filled with joy and love for the benefit of my children. And in many cultures, that's missing. It's gone because why children are to be seen but not heard. Excuse me, you're not to be in this room. Now, maybe in varying degrees, you, you, you experienced this growing up. Maybe you didn't have that example. I'm sorry about that. But I do know that Jesus, our everlasting Father, is this perfect example of love and sacrifice. He loves his church so much. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. You were that joy. You were the delight. He rejoices over you with singing. You are the passion of his life. You are his heartbeat. He wakes up, if I can say it this way, every morning saying, Woohoo, I get to be a dad to all of you. And that's what beats in his heart. And he gives his life to this. And he daily intercedes for us. And he demonstrated this perfectly in the cross. But to do it on the cross, remember, Jesus had his Gethsemane too. Not my will, but yours be done. I'll be honest, for me, being a dad stripped a lot of things away from me. I mean, my flesh in particular. Some dads, however, they don't let that happen. Life is hard. They just endure it, and eventually they, they give up. Let me read to you a little story, it was actually published in the American Girl some years ago, and it's entitled, That's the Way Life Goes Sometimes. When I was 10, my parents got a divorce. Naturally, my father told me about it because he was my favorite. In parentheses, it says, notice that Vicky did not say I was his favorite. Honey, I know it's been kind of bad for you these past few days, and I don't want to make it worse, but there's something I have to tell you. Honey, your mother and I got a divorce. But Daddy, I know you don't want this, but it has to be done. Your mother and I just 
don't get along like we used to. I'm ready. I'm already packed, and my plane is leaving in half an hour. I guess that was before 9-11, huh? But, Daddy, why do you have to leave? Well, honey, your mother and I, we can't live together anymore. I know that, but I, I mean, why do, you have to, why do you have to leave town? Oh, uh, well, I, I got someone waiting for me in New Jersey. But, Daddy, I, I mean, will I ever see you again? Sure you will, honey. We'll work something out. But what? I, I mean, you're leaving, you're living in New Jersey, and I'll be living here in Washington. Well, I don't know. Maybe your mother will agree to spending, you spending two weeks in the summer and two weeks in the winter with me. I mean, but why not more often? I don't think she'll agree to two weeks in the summer and two in the winter, much less more. Well, it, it can't hurt to try. I know, honey, but, but we'll have to work it out later. My, you know, my plane leaves in 20 minutes, and I've got to get to the airport now. I'm going to get my luggage, and I want you to go to your room so you don't have to watch me. And no long goodbyes either. Okay, Dad. Um, goodbye. Don't forget to write. Oh, I, I won't. Goodbye. Now go to your room. Okay, Dad. I, I, I don't want you to go. I, I, I know, honey. But I have to. Why? You, you wouldn't understand, honey. Yes, I would. No, you wouldn't. Oh, well. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, go to your room. Hurry up. Okay. Well, I guess that's the way life goes sometimes. Yes, honey. That's the way life goes sometimes. After my father walked out that door, I never heard from him again. The world says, yeah, that's just the way life goes sometimes. But I believe that Jesus has a different answer. That is not the way life has to go sometimes. Because, dads, we live a laid, out, laid down life. We are called to be servants and we enjoy it. We enjoy serving. And we wake up in the morning and we think about, that's right, how we can serve how we can live, how we can give. I love my brother Sam because he is a servant at heart. He's always telling me about his projects that he's getting done around the house and things that he's doing for the kids and so on and projects and things that he does. And not too many of you realize this, but Sam works as many or more hours than most of us. Um. He has, when he has one day on, he has two days off, but that one day on is 24 hours, and he usually doesn't get too much sleep. But when he comes home, it's not like, hey, I'm on vacation now for two days. But he serves his family. He's deeply involved in homeschooling far more than I ever have been. He, he gives, he serves around the house, he helps, you know, he, he was in the, uh, the recital with his daughter. I was in a recital, a ballet recital with my kids. And 
my kids were the only reason why I liked ballet in that season of my life. <laughs> my wife ever, ever said, hey, sweetheart, do you want to go to a ballet? She knew my answer, so she never asked me. She was bold enough one time to ask if I wanted to go to an opera. I don't know how I got bamboozled into it. I went, but okay. But my kids were in that ballet recital, and I loved it. And one time, <laughs> I was in a daddy-daughter or daddy-daughter's dance because three of my daughters were with me. <laughs> and that was interesting, working that and coordinating it and, you know, choreographing it. There we go. But... You know, Sam, I, I want you to I want you to I appreciate you, brother, for how you serve your family. And and uh, on, on co-op, let me just say this. But on co-op, he'll have just gotten off work and he comes Tuesday mornings to co-op and he's here all day. He just serves and he does what he can. And while if there's nothing that he can do and the none he can't help out the teachers or students, he's going around the church looking for things to fix. And then about lunchtime, and maybe it's, maybe it's the lunch, but he's back in the sound booth, and he's crashed. And it's, bro, how many hours did you get of sleep last night? Oh, it wasn't too bad. No, but really, how many? Ah, oh, like two or three. You know. How do you exist on that? But he does it because he loves serving. Lead by example. Not as a dictator who has to have his way all the time. Does that register with any of us, dads? We lay the law down, you know? And then it says, hang on a second. So many times, it's so much better to lead with our actions than our words. We have to, we have to lay the law down. I understand that. But our kids, they want, they want to see it. Telling is not as powerful as showing. Showing is a picture. I have to be honest with you, as a growing dad, especially in my younger years, I needed to see other dads, pastors or whoever, modeling being a husband, modeling being a dad. And God put some pretty great dads in my life. And they helped me navigate through these difficulties in my marriage, in my with my kids, and just what does this poured out sacrificial lifestyle look like? And they painted a picture for me. Children, and I would say all of us, tend to emulate more what we see than what they see more than what we say. Now, I was coming home from vacation one time. And I was just thinking, okay, I am going to need to cut the lawn. Now, I had a brother in the Lord do that for me in the past. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be, and I was just kind of dreaming as they're trying to pull into my room. Wouldn't that be cool if our, our lawn just miraculously got cut? See, my next door neighbor did that for us one time. Mike did that for us another time. And I was just dreaming, wow, that'd be so cool. I have no idea. Because Mike doesn't own a lawnmower. What? <laughs> and when I got home, my lawn was cut. I said, no way. And then I found out through the grapevine that Tim Miller, living 30, mile, 30 minutes north, grabbed his son, came down, cut our lawn, and 
flew out of there before we got home, and we came home to a beautifully cut lawn, and I just thought, oh, there is a God in heaven. Thank you. <laughs> this is awesome. And the truth is, Tim models being a dad so well. You look at all of his kids. His kids love to serve. They, they give. Um, they, they will ask me, TJ will ask me, so Pastor Mike, what can I do? Daniel will come up to me, so Pastor Mike, what, what do you need help with? He sees me doing something, and they'll ask me, what do you need help with? Because their dad models that lifestyle. They see it, and they want to live it. Dads, let's model it for our kids. Let's be that example for our kids, because that's really what they, they need to see that in action. Now, I'm going to transition here, and I'm, I, I want to wrap something up, and I want you to turn to Exodus 15 while I do this. I'm going to conclude this. You're going to have to give me a little bit of grace here because we're not doing a pass the mic time today. We're going to have some ministry time, and this is where we're going to transition into that. But uh, passing out the candy and, and such robbed some of my time, so I'm going, to, I'm going to go just a few minutes past my hour. But you know what? The truth is that not all of us had this example. As a matter of fact, we had an example of a dad that hurt us, verbally or otherwise. We had a dad that was regularly impatient. Before my dad was broken and God changed his heart, he would regularly sit at the table and anything that I did, and God forgive me, but there were, I had this tendency, and I can still do it. I would, I would drum on the table. I would take my spoon, you know, and I would tap. And I don't know what song I was listening to. I have no clue, but I would tap. And my parents thought one day I would become a drummer, and I tried it. No, sorry, not me. But I, my dad, it would just so irritate my dad. My dad was hurt by his dad. I was hurt by my dad. And I had to make a decision. You know what? At some point, I need that healing from him. At some point, I need to come to that place where I say, Jesus, I refuse to pass that on to my children. And I wish that I could have done a better job or could do right now a better job, but Christ is continuing to take me to Gethsemane. And I'm saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And the truth is, some of us over time have acquired hurts. It's prompted anger, stirred it up in us, bitterness, selfishness even. We, we become... Uh, a turned inwards. And Jesus needs to heal us of this because both of these things, bitterness and selfishness, are the very antithesis of being this dad that Jesus is as the perfect dad who, by the way, is one day coming back for an amazing family of God, a bride, if you will, and he is going to take us to himself. And man, are we going to have an awesome time for all of eternity. But between now and then, what are we going to do about this hurt? 
What are we going to do about this bitterness that we wrestle with that has affected us and we don't want it to? And we are crying out, Jesus, do something in me. And I, I want us to look at a very interesting example. And it's how there, as the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, they came to a lake by the name of Mara. Now, they named it Mara after they encountered these waters because Mara means bitter. I want you to imagine these people thirsty, and as they're going through this desert, they are, they've run out of water, and they need water. Water to them means life. And they finally find this body of water, and as they taste it, it's bitter. Maybe even poisonous. And the truth is, some of us grew up with toxic dads that poisoned us, hurt us. And the truth is, instead of life flowing through us, we pass on that toxicity, we pass on that hurt, we pass on that poison. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be healed. So what did they do? Now, in my version... I'm reading, I, I have the NIV. It says, so that they came to Mara in verse 23. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, this is an important question because without this water, they would surely die. And then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him, my version says, a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, this Hebrew word has a nuance. It can mean a piece of wood or stick, but it is generally translated a tree. Now, I don't want you to think that Moses picked up a stick and just tossed it in, because the that there's nothing in this passage to suggest that, because it generally means tree. Moses? maybe with the help of some men, said, help me with this. And they took a tree and they threw the tree into the water. Now, how does a tree in any way benefit your drinking water? I don't understand that. There is nothing physical about this that should make it work and make these waters sweet. But this was God's remedy. It is interesting that this word tree, both in Old Testament and New Testament, refers to that place on which people were impaled. Jesus was hung on a tree. And I want us to see something here. If we are going to be these dads, and we are going to refuse to pass on this toxicity from our dads who got it from their dads, and it is going to end in my generation, then I am going to suggest, dads, we need to be healed. It is time. We are no longer like these waters of Mara, but we are to be sweet, and that is going to happen in only one way, and that is by the cross. And in the cross... We might step back and the world thinks, well, that's foolishness. Well, that foolishness was God's answer for everything. Not only a demonstration of God's love for us, 
But the Bible says in Colossians 1 that it actually brings reconciliation, which means, in the, and it's this, an unusual Greek word there. It's not the typical Greek word for reconciliation. It means like super reconciliation. It means reconciliation back to the original, where there was no sin, no curse, no nothing. The purpose of the cross is complete restoration. And I want to ask you, is that within your dream, is that even, do you even think that's possible that God would be able to fully restore you because this is the purpose of the cross? Full reconciliation, full restoration, Colossians 1 says, of all things, that is the purpose, that is the intent of the cross. I believe that Jesus wants to heal some of us dads. And I'm just going to have, if we could dim the lights right now. I just want, I, I just want God right now to, to minister to us. Dads, I hope you have the most amazing, fun-filled Father's Day to date. I'm looking forward to my Father's Day. And my kids have, have asked me, so, Dad, what do you want to do? Or what are we doing? And, and they want to be a part of this, of course. And they're making plans. And, and Juliana, of course, she's our head planner of, like, everything. And so she's written out this, okay, Dad, so when you're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. And I'm, now, how would you like, you know, for, for lunch, how about if we do, like, pancakes and eggs and bacon? And it's like, oh, go, girl, you got it. And then we're going to do this, blah, blah. And then, okay, and then this is going to happen at 6, and then we're going to do the, you know, the, the steak scene there, and we're going to grill, and, you know, it, does that sound good? And I said, man, I am going to wake up in the morning dreaming for this day, okay? But dads, before that, before all that your kids have planned and your wife has planned and whatever you do, let's deal with this. Because some of our, you see, water brings life. But if it's bitter, it brings death. I want that life. I want that which is in me to be life, not death. I want Jesus to minister to me. I want the healing of the cross. I want Jesus to come as my full reconciler to restore me. So I'm just wherever you are at, will you, would you allow God to minister to you? And, and here's the truth. This is not just for dads, is it? All of us had a dad. Good or bad, we're indifferent. We all had dads. And some of them left a hard mark. And I'm just going to encourage us right now can we come to the cross that's been thrown in your bitter waters? Let's receive some healing. Can we turn out these lights? If you want to kneel, if you want to come to the altar, that's between you and the Lord. But this is a time for Jesus to minister healing. God, I want to thank you for some absolutely amazing examples of godly dads in our church. And there's so many more that I didn't mention. 
And I just feel privileged to call these men brothers. But Father, the truth is some of them have needed to access the cross for their own healing. Because what what was inside them was broken and it was bitter and there was little to no life. And you had to heal them. Jesus, I pray that right now that you administer grace. You would show us again how much you love us. This much. Around the world a million times. Just minister your Minister this ministry of reconciliation. Full, complete, restore, God. Heal those bitter waters, Father. Bring us back to the cross and never allow us to forget Gethsemane where the me died so that I can live this laid down life. It's at the cross where we receive this healing. So would you minister that healing right now?